Hi, I'm Jacqueline. And I'm Courtney. And this is Caffeinated Crimes. Happy 2022. We made it. Courtney and I are living in the past. It's still 2021 right now, but you're hearing this in 2022. So hopefully your New Year's went well. Hopefully 2022 is off to a solid start, unlike last year yeah that's the thing is i was like i mean it's 2022 it's off to a good start but then i remembered 2021 six days in we had an insurrection um and people stormed the capitol and it was kind of scary and crazy um so hopefully 2022 isn't like that i have high hopes for 2022 i said that about 2021 2020 (laughs) we just gotta stop having high hopes but i do get married this year guys yes if nothing else, that'll happen. <laughs> yes, yes. Whether, Hopefully. who knows what kind of COVID protocols. Courtney's getting married either way, okay? We're yeah. not... <laughs> either way. It's I'll an be outdoor there. venue. We'll yes. all just spread out if we have to. Like, it's fine. <laughs> all you need is me and Kevin, and then you're good, okay? And we'll make it work. <laughs> so... Yeah, so hopefully you guys have some fun, exciting things planned for 2022. Um like getting your vaccine and your booster if you haven't already. Yes, do Sorry. that. And getting your children vaccinated if they are of the age to be vaccinated. Speaking of news, um, this week Pfizer announced that they're putting the trial for children under five on hold because it did not have the expected immune response. So super bummed about that because I'm very ready to get my child vaccinated so I can feel a little bit safer in the world. So hopefully 2022 will bring vaccines for children. Hopefully. Yeah, I think that'll make a lot of people feel better, like who have children, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because the people who are anti-vaccine aren't going to get their kids vaccinated. And if their kids get sick, well, sorry. (laughs) I don't know what to say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Hmm. You guys need to stop talking about vaccines because you need to stop pushing your personal opinion on people. (laughs) anyway you know at what point does it stop being a personal opinion and start being about like making sure everyone doesn't die you know i feel like that's a good personal opinion to push on people so sorry anyway there's a reason your children aren't dying of polio anymore and smallpox exactly okay 2022 is off to a good start y'all 2022 (laughs) on our soapbox here we go all right Um, We don't really have any updates right now because we are recording two episodes back to back. It's also like 9.30 on a Sunday night, which is like pretty much four in the morning. I mean, it's so late. It's my witching hour. I've never felt more alive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, we're just going to jump on into this first episode of 2022. It's a really good one. Um, Very, you know, we'll get into it. I don't need to give you adjectives. You can describe it for yourself. So Our sources for this episode were an article from the Texas Observer, an article from Texas Monthly, the Innocence Project of Texas. Can you guys guess where this took place? Um, (laughs) Also a Pew Trust article and an article from Into Impact. Um, And also a documentary called Southwest of Salem, the story of the San Antonio Four. 20-year-old Elizabeth Ramirez had a good time when her 7- and 9-year-old nieces came to stay with her for a week in her apartment in July of 1994. 
Her friends, Cassandra Rivera, Anna Vasquez, and Christy Mayhew had been in and out of the apartment as well. So all four adults worked multiple jobs at all hours of the day, so they just kind of rotated, you know, who was home to watch the girls. And what they thought was a fun week would turn into a nightmare that would ruin the four women's lives. So about a month later, Detective Thomas... Majeka with the San Antonio Police Department knocked on Elizabeth's door and said he was investigating a sex crime and asked if she would go to the police station with him to answer a few questions. At the station, Detective Majeka asked Elizabeth if she knew Javier Limon and his two daughters, and she said that yes, Javier was her sister's ex-husband and his daughters were her nieces. Majeka then told Elizabeth that the two girls were accusing Elizabeth and her three friends of sexually assaulting them. Um, Elizabeth denied the accusations, and she was about four months pregnant at the time, and the detective told her that if she were found guilty, her child would likely be taken away from her. So, from the very first interview, he's, like, really, you know, telling her how bad the situation's going to be for her. Mm -hmm. He then asked her if she was or had previously been in a relationship with another woman, and she said yes. He also asked her if her three friends were lesbians as well, and she said yes. Again, this is the 90s in Texas, so I feel like we can see where this is going to go. I mean, if this was 2021 in Texas, it probably would go the same way, unfortunately. Texas is a little stuck back in the, in the path there. Mm, yep. So all four women ended up being indicted for aggravated sexual assault of a child and indecency with a child. They all continued to deny the accusations. They're like, we weren't even all like in the apartment together at the same time like they're saying that like all four women did it and they're like we were in and out like all of them worked like multiple um like grocery store like retail fast food jobs like Mm -hmm. you know they would work a few shifts a week at arby's and like the heb grocery store and different stuff like that so it's like they were kind of all over the place and they just made sure someone was always there to make sure they were watching out for the girls um and elizabeth had just given birth to her son three days before she was arrested So they show up to arrest her with her three-day-old child. Um, So she did have to leave her son in the care of family members while she went to jail, and her family continued to help her care for her son after she was released on bail and was working at Taco Cabana to support herself. Also, I just want to think about, like, imagine being three days postpartum and then having to go sit in a jail. Like, you're still wearing a diaper and you're in jail. Yeah. Like, that would be rough. Yeah. Yeah. So, at age 16, um, Elizabeth had started staying out late, seeing boys, experimenting with drugs, just kind of doing the typical, like, rebellious teenage stuff. Um, And around this time, she also began to realize that she had romantic feelings for women. Again, this is the 90s in Texas. Elizabeth did come from a conservative Catholic family, and her mom stopped speaking to her when she found out that Elizabeth was a lesbian. Um, She did stay close with her younger siblings, Mark and Monica, and they both spoke really highly of her. Um, But her mom did kick her out of the house, and she became emancipated and moved in with her older sister, Rosemary, and her boyfriend, Javier, as well as her three children. However, she felt that Javier was very overbearing and he lectured her too much. He also was like hitting on her and making her uncomfortable. So she's like, I don't really want to be here anymore. And she moved into um, one of her girlfriend's houses from school. And Elizabeth and her mom actually worked together at a nursing home. And her mom slowly started coming around to Elizabeth being a lesbian and then eventually ended up co-signing an apartment for her. Um, So she did like 
sign away her parental rights when Elizabeth was emancipated at 16. But then, you know, a few years she started to come around and they ended mm-hmm. up having a good relationship. And I can't remember if it was her mom or one of the other girl's moms, but in the documentary, like she mentioned that, you know, she went to a priest, right? The, the Catholic mm-hmm. church. Okay. I was going to say the Pope, but I'm like, she did not talk to the Pope. She went all the way to Italy to the Pope. <laughs> um, but she talked to the priest um, of their church and she was like am i am i going against god if i support my daughter like i'm really conflicted because this is my daughter but also my religion tells me that this is wrong and she's like basically like asking for advice and her priest is like no like all you have to do is love your daughter he's like you're not going mm-hmm. against god by supporting her all you have to do is love her and that was yeah. it um so good for that, that really... priest though that he wasn't like right no, she's the Look devil. at that priest in Texas in the 90s. Like, okay, you go, I see you. sir. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth met Christy Mayhew when they both worked at the grocery store HEB. Um, and Christy was from Montana, but had moved to San Antonio when she was three because her father was in the Air Force. Um, Christy was also a lesbian whose mother disapproved. So her and Elizabeth, you know, bonded over this. Um, and they did get an apartment together as friends. Um, one source I read said that they never dated and then Elizabeth in the documentary said that they like dated for like a few months or like, you know, maybe it was like a, they tried out a relationship, didn't really work kind of thing, but they were just friends. Uh Um, so Cassie Rivera then started working at HEB as well and they all became friends. Cassie had previously been with a man and had two children, but then realized that she was attracted to women and Cassie's mother also kicked her out of her house. So she sometimes stayed with Elizabeth and Christy. And Elizabeth knew Anna Vasquez because they played sports together in high school. And Anna was working at Little Caesars one night when Cassie went to pick up a pizza. And they both said that it was just like love at first sight. Um, They eventually moved in together and raised Cassie's kids together. Although they still felt uncomfortable being out in public together at the time because it wasn't really socially acceptable in Texas at the time to be like an out lesbian. So like they -hmm. lived together as a family, but they wouldn't like hold hands when they went to the fair, you know. So Elizabeth broke up with her first girlfriend and then started dating a man named Hector, um, who she did end up getting pregnant by. So Hector really liked to party and he thought that Elizabeth worked too much because like I said, she was working like multiple jobs, just like really trying to, you know, get her life started. Um, So they did split up. So then Elizabeth says that Javier started contacting her. She said that he offered her rides and gave her money. He left her messages on her answering machine and started writing her letters. So the letters included poems and called Elizabeth my little angel. Um, He asked her to call him at specific times and he wrote, quote, I hope these letters are not upsetting, disturbing, or making you uncomfortable. Um, So Elizabeth did express concern to her friends and her mom. Her mom confronted Javier who denied it until she like showed him the letters and then he just stormed away. So he's like, I didn't write those. And then she's like, it's right here. And so then he just left. (laughs) That's not, that's fake news. What are you talking about? Fake news, Elizabeth's mom. (laughs) So Javier offered to marry Elizabeth after she got pregnant and said that he would raise the baby as his own, but she declined. And her mother said that she didn't trust him. And when Javier asked Elizabeth to keep the nieces for the week, her mom was like, you don't, you shouldn't do that. I don't trust him. But Elizabeth's like, I really want to see my nieces, so I'm going to. Um, But shortly after the girls stayed with Elizabeth, Javier called her and said he had something to tell her. And then he put her on hold and took another call and they never spoke again. 
Javier was working as a heavy equipment operator and said that Elizabeth would ask him for rides because she didn't have a car and would sometimes borrow small amounts of money from him. And Javier said a few weeks after the girls spent the week at Elizabeth, Elizabeth's apartment, one of them ran inside and told her grandmother that the other girl was playing with her dolls in an inappropriate way and making them kiss and undress. And her grandmother asked if she knew where she learned it and she said she couldn't tell her because something had happened and they had threatened her. So when Javier got home, the girls told him about Elizabeth and her friends holding them down and raping them. And Javier took his daughters to the hospital and police station. So he's claiming he was never in love with Elizabeth and he never wrote those letters. Again, we have proof of the letters. So, (laughs) Um, and when presented with them years later by the journalist, Maurice Chama, he said Rosemary and her new boyfriend must have forged them in an attempt to take custody away from Javier. Because, yes, a love letter would get your custody taken away from your kids. Oh, yeah. That's all it takes. Javier's family agree that he was never inappropriate with Elizabeth, but her family backs her up that he was. So. Rosemary moved to Denver with their children, and Javier took a bus there and returned home to San Antonio with his children. So because Rosemary was out of state now, she had a hard time fighting for custody. She moved to Mexico at one point, and Javier said it was to avoid paying child support, but Rosemary said she didn't pay child support because Javier wouldn't allow her to see her children. So he's just kind of making up lies everywhere. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Javier also had a bitter custody battle with his next girlfriend and accused her son of sexually abusing their daughter. He called CPS on his girlfriend for neglect, and she described him as hurtful, mean, and a sociopath. She also said he had a pattern of behavior for using authorities to get back at people that had wronged him and that he was controlling. Her son did end up taking a plea deal and became a registered sex offender. And Javier's sister said that Javier just had bad luck with women who try to take advantage of him. You know, I mean, if everyone in your life... There's a common denominator here. Yeah, if you have issues with (laughs) everyone in your life, you're probably the issue here. Mm -hmm. Just general life advice. Yeah, I mean, people, some people will take advantage of you. It -hmm. will happen, but if... Every woman you've ever dated is just taking <laughs> advantage of you. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Getting a little suspicious. Yeah. Maybe maybe you're the problem or maybe <laughs> uh, maybe you just have a type. <laughs> yeah. It's a bad maybe type. Maybe you should look for a new type then. <laughs> yeah. Um, so during, during jury selection for the four women's trials, the attorney asked if the potential jury members were opposed to homosexuality. So the jury foreman told the attorneys that he believed homosexuality was a sin, but he wouldn't let that cloud his judgment. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Of course not. The attorneys argued over this, but he was eventually allowed to sit on the jury. Yep. Yep. Gotta love it. So Javier's oldest daughter testified that she spent several days at Elizabeth's apartment and then she called her into the bedroom one afternoon and started yelling at her. She said the four women were present and were all topless and had been drinking tequila. And the daughter said there were liquids and powders and different things. Um, She said they held her down and started kissing her and then put cold liquid stuff inside her. She said they then put a tampon inside her and Elizabeth pulled out a gun. Um, and her father called and the daughter said Elizabeth held the gun to her head. Like while she told her father, everything was going to, was like going fine there. 
She said Elizabeth then made her take a shower and she heard screams outside from the younger sister, but they had locked her in the bathroom. And she also said there was a high lock on the front door. So she was unable to get outside. At trial, the prosecution's expert witness, Dr. Nancy Kellogg, testified that she'd examined the girls and had found a two to three millimeter scar on the older girl's hymen. And she said this was evidence of a sexual assault. She also interviewed the girls and did not feel they showed any signs of lying or being coached. And in her notes, she wrote, this could be satanic related. Elizabeth then took the stand and the prosecutor, Philip Kaizen asked her if she was gay and if her friends were gay and he asked if she had gay relationships with them and she said no. Um, she said they were all gay and Anna and Cassie were dating but everyone else was they were just friends um, and Kaizen said well maybe I'm confused I thought you said that if you're gay and you were friends that that's a gay relationship. <laughs> Guys that's not how that works. No. Is this is this like those like those couples those like heterosexual couples where like the other one can't have like friends of the opposite sex or it's right. a relationship like is this one of those things you know like that that's not how that works <laughs> yeah yeah and these are questions that they're asking like at a trial like this is being yeah. allowed to be a line of questioning like what and like that's and like are you so stupid that you're like so you're gay and your friends get you're together <gasps> you are having sex all the time that makes me Obviously. think of those, like, homophobic people who are like, oh, well, I can't be around because they'll be attracted to me. And it's like, you're not attracted to every person who walks down the street. They don't want you. Yeah, they right? Don't They're like, you. Mm. If, if you're concerned about, like, them being attracted to you, they're not, they're not at all attracted to you. You don't put mm-hmm. off that vibe there, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, and Elizabeth did say, we're all friends. It doesn't mean that we're all intimate together. Or had any kind of sexual togetherness. Like, not the same thing. Yeah. Um, the trial was only a few days, and the jury only deliberated for a few hours before finding Elizabeth guilty, and she was sentenced to 37 and a half years in prison. So, Cassie, Anna, and Christy went to trial together in February of 1988. So, because Elizabeth was deemed to be, like, the ringleader, her trial was separate, and then theirs was, like, all together. So the prosecutor, Mary Kay Delavan, reminded the jury that the alleged abuse had happened three and a half years ago at this point, so the victims, quote, might not be able to keep everything perfectly straight. So she's, like, starting out this trial saying, like, they might mix up some details, but, like, it's fine because it was so long ago. So at this trial, the girls testified that Christy had been at the apartment where before, like, she said that she wasn't at the time, and... There there were a lot of different stories, so these were just a few Mm -hmm. of the, like, inconsistencies. Um, This time they said that Anna was the one holding the gun on them and not Elizabeth. Um, The first statement that the girls gave to the police, like, as soon as they told Javier, didn't even mention a gun at all. But then at trial, there's a gun and it's Elizabeth. And now at this trial, there's a gun and it's Anna. Um, And in the statement that they gave originally, they talked about Cassie's children and some other neighborhood children being in the apartment at different times that week. But during this trial, they said that they had been the only children there the entire time. So the prosecution used statements such as cult-type activity, sacrificial lamb, offered up, things like this in the trial that, that point to these satanic overtones. 
So the jury found all three women guilty of the same charges as Elizabeth. They were each sentenced to 15 years in prison for the aggravated sexual assault and 10 years for the indecency with a child, but the judge said that they could remain at home until they had filed all of their appeals. So during this time, like between conviction and actually going to prison, they went to the site where the apartment was because they're like, I guess trying to like collect like their own like evidence to try to have Mm -hmm. something to go off of for this appeal. Um, But the apartments had been torn down in those years. Um, But they did find a man there who used to like live at the apartments like he lived nearby now. And they did record having a conversation with him. They asked him if he remembered where the lock was in these apartments, if it was like around your waist or if it was up high. And he was like, yeah, like it was like at like the doorknob, like at my waist. So clearly Mm -hmm. a seven or nine year old child would be able to reach it where they said that the lock, you know, was too high for them to get to. And he also said that the walls were, like, paper thin there. He's like, I could hear literally everything my neighbor said. Like, you could hear every word Mm -hmm. of a conversation. So they're like, so if someone were, like, screaming inside your neighbor's apartment, like, you would hear it. And he was like, yes. So this makes it seem kind of unlikely that two young girls would be screaming while being violently sexually assaulted by four women and, like, no one hears it. So their appeals were soon exhausted, and they did go to prison in the summer of 2000. They refused to take sex offender rehabilitation classes, and they were put into higher security units because of that. And Cassie even went into solitary confinement for 30 days at one point, because they're like, I'm not going to participate in your sex offender rehab because I'm not a sex offender. Like, how am I going Mm -hmm. to, like, I can't share anything because I don't have those feelings because I haven't done this, you know? Um, They did write to various innocence projects and talk show hosts, but they never received a response. So Elizabeth's son's father got custody of him, and they stopped contacting her when he was five years old, um, but she still wrote letters to her son every week, and Cassie's children continued to visit her while she was in prison. Then in 2006, a man named Daryl Otto was researching female sex offenders when he came across online articles about these four women, Um, and they didn't really seem to fit the pattern that he had found so far. Um, So in his work at this point, the majority of female sex offenders that he had found had preyed upon teenage boys. Like, that's pretty much like the, like, main demographic of female sex offenders. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And he did find that women who sexually assaulted young children usually had, like, some pretty, like, significant mental illness. Um, So he's like, this doesn't really seem, especially for four women, like, what are the odds that all four women have the kind of mental illness that would lead you to, it just, he's like, this doesn't really add up here. Yeah. So... He began writing letters back and forth with Elizabeth to learn more about her, Um, and he was kind of skeptical at first, but then he began to believe that Elizabeth and her friends had not committed these crimes. Um, So he put together information about their case and gave it to Debbie Nathan, who was the journalist who wrote Satan's Silence. So Satan's Silence was about the numerous sex abuse That was hard to say. So Satan's Silence was about the numerous sex abuse accusations in the United States in the 1980s that were believed to be part of satanic rituals. So around this time, many daycare workers, um, like other adults, but it was pretty like significantly like daycare workers and preschool teachers um, were accused of rape, murder, and torture of children in the name of Satan. Um, And there was usually very little evidence in these cases other than, like, the child statements or recovered memories from adults who were talking about, like, they went through this when they were a child. So, Mm -hmm. basically, all these people believed that there was, like, this satanic cult that is, like, 
like sexually abusing children and then like recruiting children for their cult and you know all this stuff um this is also referred to as satanic panic so if you've heard that before that's all this wrapped up yeah and many of the adults who were accused of these sexual crimes were part of the lgbtq plus community and the first daycare teacher convicted as part of the satanic panic was a gay man in 1985 who had just recently come out so being part of that community was tied in with this satanic panic. So Debbie Nathan was working for the National Center for Reason and Justice at this time. So this organization was created to help those who had been wrongfully accused of satanic abuse. And while reviewing the case, Dr. Kellogg's statement about possible satanic rituals stood out to her because satanic sex rituals had been discredited by most professionals by the late 90s when these trials took place. So, like, there was a satanic panic in the 80s, and then by, like, mid to late 90s, people started realizing, like, okay, this this isn't happening. Like, this isn't mm-hmm. a thing. Um, but Dr. Kellogg still mentioned in her statement, like, possible satanic rituals. So that stood out to um, this journalist because she's like, uh, why, why is this doctor still in this train of thought? Yeah. So Debbie Nathan took the case to the Innocence Project of Texas, and attorneys began contacting the women's previous attorneys, but none of them even remembered the case, which really shows you, like, how good of a trial they got. If they're like, nope, don't remember, like... I don't How remember do this case. you not remember? Right? For, you accused four women of raping two young girls in a satanic ritual. And you don't mm-hmm. remember it? Where no. these women are drinking tequila and topless and like assaulting these young girls with tampons. You don't remember this case. That's just doesn't stick out to you at all. Oof. So crime reporter Michelle Mondo started investigating and found that Javier's daughters had made sexual abuse allegations against someone else when they were living in Denver. So things are starting to look a little iffy for them. Then in 2012, the younger of the two daughters called Debbie Nathan and recanted. Um, So we're just going to call her S because I'm not really comfortable using like her name, like We'll get into the fact that they are victims as well. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't really think we should use the children's names because they were children. Um, it's out there if you want to find it, but we're just going to call her S. Um, so she was 25 years old when she recanted. And part of her statement read, quote, I remember everything he, meaning her father, coached me to say, as well as my grandmother. I'm sorry it has taken this long for me to know what truly happened. You must understand I was threatened, and I was told that if I did tell the truth that I would end up in prison, taken away, or even get my ass beat. I will make things right, and I'm sorry for everything I put you through. I was only seven, and I was scared. S went on to say that her grandmother has seen her and her sister playing with Barbie dolls in a sexual way, and asked them where they learned to do that. So they said they were just, like, playing around. I mean, kids experiment like that. Like I used to make my Barbies kiss and stuff. Right? You know what like, I mean? Like, you just kind of, like, slowly experiment. <laughs> exactly. Like, and, I mean, they're seven and nine. I mean, like, they're, like, the nine-year-old could have a period by now. Like, you know what a vagina is. Like, you, like. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, but, so basically, they're like, you know, we're just playing around. I don't know. And she's like, no, like, someone told you, like, how to do this. Like, who did this to you? Like, basically, her grandmother just kept pushing, saying, like, someone had to have done this to you. Like, you wouldn't just, like, think of this on your own. And then, like, basically started asking all these leading questions and insinuating that her newly lesbian aunt had something to do with it. Because Mm -hmm. who else would sexually abuse these young girls but the new lesbian aunt, you know? 
So Javier claims that S recanted because she wanted to hurt him, not because it didn't actually happen. So like at this point, like they had a rocky relationship. So he's like, oh, Mm -hmm. like she's only saying this now because like she wants to get back at me. Like it really did happen. Like she's lying now. She wasn't lying then. Okay, Javier. And S also said that like her father would do like not like do in like watch inappropriate things in front of them. Like basically, mm-hmm. like he would watch like sexually graphic images. And she's like, "That's where I learned these things that like I was doing." But he's like claiming that it was someone else, you know? Yeah. So the case was getting more attention at this point, and they began referring to these women as the San Antonio Four. So Anna was being released on parole later that year, but she was still a registered sex offender who had many restrictions on her freedom. Her brother got her a job at a job at his auto shop, but she had to quit when she discovered it was near a school, and she then got a job at a tortilla factory. So in late October 2013, attorney Mike Ware filed writs for all four women. Um, He mentioned S recanting and mistakes made by police and the prosecution, but his primary argument was about Dr. Kellogg's testimony as understanding of the medical evidence of child abuse has changed since then. A new statute had been passed in the spring that made it easier to challenge convictions based on outdated forensic evidence. And Dr. Kellogg told the county district attorney's office that her claims at the first trial were outdated and that she wouldn't give the same testimony today, which is pretty huge. Like if you're saying like, I wouldn't give that testimony again. Yeah. Like she's like, I was wrong then. Like this was outdated information. Here's what the new information is. Here's what what I would say now, which like... I mean, she also made, like, the satanic comment, so I'm like, "Mm, I don't know how uh, on top of things you were at the first trial, but also good for you for acknowledging Mm -hmm. it the second time around, because I feel like a lot of people in this situation would, like, stick to their guns, because they're like, no, I don't want to, like, be part of this, so I'm just going to stick to it, like, nope, that's, I stand by that, but she's like, nope, that's not what I would say today. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, like, very good on her for to be like, Mm mm-hmm. That's outdated. Like, that's very outdated. Um, So this statement undermined the main evidence in the case. So the district attorney agreed that the three women could be released on bond and that she wouldn't attempt a retrial. She also said that the four women wouldn't have sex offender restrictions, but they had other parole restrictions and still had to get permission to travel out of state. So... On November 18, 2013, Christy, Elizabeth, and Cassie were released from prison, and Elizabeth had been incarcerated almost 17 years, and Christy and Cassie had been in for 13 years. That is a long time, especially the transition from the 90s to, like, 2013. A lot changed. Especially, like... Especially for these lesbian women. Like, they, like, come out of prison, and they're like, these two girls are kissing at the park? Like... Like, we can do that. We can just, like, kiss in public. What is this cell phone? It's not a brick anymore? (laughs) Yes. You touch it? It's a touch screen? How does this work? I want to say it was Cassie that she's like, I went out to dinner and she's like, everyone's just, like, on their phones. Like, what what is this? This is such a weird world to, like, come back to. Like, that's a big, a big shift. And also, remember how young these women were. Like, Elizabeth was 20. I think the other girls were right around the same age, like, late teens, early 20s. Like, they were very young when this happened. So, it's like, not only are you coming back in a new era, 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 era. (laughs) like, not only are you coming back, like, in this new era, but you're also 
coming back from like your 20s to like your 40s almost like this is just Mm -hmm. like wow yeah yeah so in 2016 a judge overturned their convictions but said there wasn't enough evidence to exonerate them However, in November of 2016, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals disagreed and exonerated the four women. Because they were determined to be innocent, they were eligible for compensation from the state. So Christy received $1,073,000 and a monthly annuity of $5,100. Elizabeth received $1,346,000 and a monthly annuity of $6,300. Cassie received $1 million and $1,080,000. Hoo-wee, this is a lot of commas, guys. Sorry. <laughs> $1,080,000 and a monthly annuity of 5000 And Anna received $1,104,000 and a monthly annuity of 5100 You know when you start reading, like, millions and you're like, how do I read words? I don't know. It's the million, like... If there's not like a hundred thousand marker, it's that's really what hard because it's like thinking, one million four hundred dollars. Like it's a very weird like. Yeah, it's, it's hard like, to say. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, what are what are um placeholder? I don't what what's that called? You know, in like first grade math, like the number place. Never mind. Just the comma. Okay, it's late. <laughs> anyway, <What>? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. It took another two years before their criminal records were finally expunged in 2018. So you also have to think, like, if you're applying for jobs in this two years, like, it's going to pop up this charge, which is a big, big charge, lifetime serious charge that's reported no matter Mm -hmm. what. And you're having to be like, here's all my paperwork that I was exonerated, but I know it's still there. Like, yeah, they're like, that's oof. So, for the five years between being released from prison and their criminal records expunged, all four women were still convicted felons and had to come with restrictions that came along with that. Um, I think we've talked about it before. Like, it's hard to get a job. It's hard to get an apartment. It's hard. Mm -hmm. All of that. Um, In 2004, Congress passed the Justice for All Act, which guarantees individuals exonerated of federal crimes receive compensation a fifty thousand for each year of incarceration and a hundred thousand for every year spent on death row. Thirty-six states have laws that offer compensations to individuals exonerated on state crimes. So Texas offers compensation of eighty thousand for each year incarcerated plus a monthly annuity after release, which is kind of what we talked about earlier and kind of how they got that money. Mm-hmm. So of the states that offer some compensation. Some of them offer very little, such as Wisconsin that offers 5000 for every year and capped at a maximum of $25,000. Like, can you imagine if you are wrongfully imprisoned for, let's say, 20 years, and they're like, here's $25,000, sorry. Oh, okay, this $25,000 that I would have made in one single year, but I've mm-hmm. been out of the workforce now for 20 years, but thanks, thanks for that $25,000. And That's I have go to try and ways. explain... This gap on my resume. And even uh-huh. if you're exonerated, like, there's not that many resources for people. I mean, they're trying, no. definitely people are trying to create more resources for people who were wrongfully convicted and exonerated. But mm-hmm. there are not a lot of resources out there for them. And now you're getting released with $25,000 and a have fun. Like, yep. And with, like, a 20-year gap on your, like, like we said, going back to, like, the 90s versus, like, 2013 when they're released, it's, like, 
like your job skills aren't going to be the same like you're not going to be able to like mm-hmm. like you don't know how to use a computer on like a daily basis you don't know how to use a smartphone like how i mean are you going most to just, like, jobs require like a typing test yeah and if you've been in prison for 20 years how are you supposed to know mm-hmm. how to type like exactly so a documentary about the case and the four women named southwest of salem the story of the san antonio four was released in 2016 and this brought a lot of attention to the case and raised awareness of bias against lgbtq plus individuals and false sexual assault allegations believed to be a part of satanic rituals and all four women have gone on speaking tours about their experience in the documentary, Elizabeth and Christy mentioned being in a romantic relationship, but articles released after that make it kind of seem like they did split up, um, which I could also kind of see, too. Like, you have this shared experience that, like, mm-hmm. no one else gets. Like, you're going to kind of bond over that and, you know, take comfort in that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Christy Mayhew moved to Houston to be near her mother. In 2018, she had plans to go back to school to become a vet tech. And she continues to educate young people about the LGBT community and how to navigate the criminal justice system. Elizabeth Ramirez met a woman named Angel in prison, and they got married in February of 2018. So they both worked at a print shop using skills they learned while working in the prison print shop. And Elizabeth purchased a home for her mother with some of the money she received. And in the documentary, she sat down with her niece, S, and told her that she forgives her and that she doesn't blame her for what she was told to do as a child. So these two girls were not a victim of sexual assault, but they were victims, too. They were Mm -hmm. kind of used as pawns in Javier's whole scheme. And, like, we've talked about memory before and how, like... um like susceptible it is to other information to time changes to this to that to like to the point where if someone tells you a memory that's yours over and over like you can believe it's yours even if you have no memory of it so as these young children if they're like telling them that they experienced this and they're giving them details and now they're having to repeat it to the police and like social workers and nurses and like all this it's like it would make sense that they would like start to believe it at some point you know um do you know um does the older child, does she ever come forward and talk about any of it? She never had, like, her name is out there, which I didn't want to use either, but mm-hmm. I've never read anything that says that she, like, recanted it, so I don't know. Gotcha. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure because it's more like S rather than anything else. So Cassie Rivera began working at a car wash after she was released. It was here that she met Tiffany Hurtado, um, and the two women married in 2016. Cassie then started working at a law firm with lawyer Rosie Gonzalez, who had heard about their case. And she also speaks with teenagers and advocates for those who've been wrongly convicted. Um, Anna Vasquez advocated for her three friends when she was released from prison before them. As we mentioned earlier, she worked for a tortilla factory after she was released and before she was exonerated. Um, And in March of 2016, the Innocence Project of Texas offered her a full-time job. And part of her job is trying to raise awareness of jailhouse snitches who sometimes give false testimonies in order to have time taken off their sentences. I'm sure this happens a lot, just trying to get out of prison any way you can. Um, Rosie Gonzalez said their story isn't one of redemption because they don't need to be redeemed. It's of hope. If they'd lost hope, they've stayed in there forever and they never stopped fighting. And that is the story of the San Antonio four. Yeah. I mean, just wow. Like these poor women and what they went through Mm -hmm. and 
all for the most part because they were lesbians in Texas in yeah the nineties and and again we do feel really bad for the children as well that they were like used in this situation and I'm sure living in a household where someone would force you to say those things I'm sure there were other types of abuse going on as well so um and just the fact that like nothing else really happened with Javier like Mm -hmm. I'm really surprised I don't know about statute of limitation on like filing false reports if that would have just expired I don't I don't really know how the law works with that but like he ruined not he didn't ruin but he took so much of these four women's lives and put them Mm -hmm. through so much hell with basically no consequences Mm -hmm. yeah it's like how how do you sleep at night how do you live with yourself Right? Like, at least Texas does have a pretty good, um, like, compensation program versus, like, mm-hmm. some of the states that have, like, nothing. But it's, like, still that money doesn't make up for all the time that you lost, like, in your yeah. life, in your children's lives. Like, Cassie had grandchildren when she came out. Like, I mean, it's just... Um, Elizabeth never really got any time with her son, who was three mm-hmm. days old when she was first arrested. And yep. probably never really got to see him after that you know like Mm -hmm. you can't put a dollar amount on losing that much of your life and Mm -hmm. i'm sure coming out of prison too they probably have some level of anxiety ptsd like trauma from that like prison's not a great place to be um and especially on a child abuse charge i can imagine makes it worse and trying to tell people you're innocent and everyone's like yeah sure and then you're like no really like i am so that must have been really hard yeah that was like with um julie ray harper that we've done an episode on that when she was exonerated and released from prison like she had like severe anxiety and she has to take her service dog with her everywhere and it's Mm -hmm. just really hard for her to like work a normal job and live a normal life after going through prison especially on a child charge yeah Um, And it sounds like these four women have really tried to, like, do something good with the time that they have now. Like, they're all, like, speakers and they're all, like, you know, advocating especially for LGBT youth and also for, um, like, how to navigate the criminal justice system because none of them got attorneys, like, when they were first accused because they're like, oh, I didn't get, I didn't do it. I'll cooperate with you. Mm -hmm. Like, everything will be fine. The evidence will show that I'm innocent. Exactly. We see that so often where you're like, well, evidence will prove I'm innocent. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So they do speak a lot to young adults about, like, get an attorney. Like, here's how the criminal justice system works. Like, they've taken, like, criminal justice classes now and, like, all of these things. They're trying to really make sure that they can educate people on ways to protect themselves. Um, So it is amazing that they've been able to, like, turn that around and do the work that they're doing now and also that they or at least elizabeth the others haven't spoken on it so i don't want to put words in their mouth but at least elizabeth was able to forgive her nieces you know yeah so yeah uh courtney what is your perk of the week okay guys my perk of the week is gonna be it's one of those weeks where it's just something very small in my day and i'll probably forget about it until i'm listening back to the episode (laughs) Um, But my perk of the week is that I had a Sonic milkshake today and that I have the other half in the freezer that I'm going to eat as soon as we get done recording because it's, it's been a long week, month, year. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
all of the above. Um, and just busy, 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 go, go, go. And Kevin and I leave tomorrow for a week and it's going to be super hectic. And I was just kind of tired and just kind of feeling a little off. And I was like, I just want some ice cream. And he was like, let's go. Let's go get some ice cream. So <laughs> that's my perk of the week because sometimes you just need an Oreo key. Oreo cheesecake milkshake from Sonic. <laughs> and like saving the rest for later and like looking forward to it all day is like the best too. Cause it's like, it's almost as good as like, like just like leading up to them. It's like when you're planning for a vacation and like the lead up to like waiting mm-hmm. for it is as good as the vacation itself, you know? So it's like, you're like thinking about it all day and then like you get to actually like savor it. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I'm very excited. I'm definitely going to eat the rest of that and <laughs> thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, Jacqueline, what is your perk of the week? Um, side note before I tell you my perk of the week, um, Andrew got some snickerdoodle ice cream and it's like delicious. It's that so sounds good. sounds good. Yeah. Um, but my perk of the week is this weekend, um, two of our friends from North Carolina came to visit. So um, they stayed the night and they brought their dog and it was a really like rainy cold yucky weekend so we didn't really you know like we did go out to um to eat under like the patio at at our local pizza place last night and um everything but you know we just we just chilled and relaxed in the house and watched a movie and um you know watched some football and soccer and just relaxed and had a good time but you know it's always nice to to get together with friends and especially ones that you don't see very often so that was my perk of the week that is always nice. And sometimes it's nice to just like chill mm-hmm. and just chill inside. I think that happened when we came and visited in like February. I don't really think we, <laughs> it was like really, there was like an ice storm and it was cold yes. and we were all just kind of like, let's just sit here. This is fine. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to tell us um, your favorite ice cream, um, your go-to order at Sonic you want to tell us about your friends about your new years um if there's anything crazy going on in 2022 that we need to know about <laughs> you can do so on instagram at caffeinated crimes pod on twitter at calf crimes pod that's c-a-f-f crimes pod on facebook at caffeinated crimes podcast we're on tiktok that's caffeinated crimes we're on youtube that's caffeinated crimes podcast um, you can send us an old-fashioned email at caffeinatedcrimespod at gmail.com. Or if you feel so inclined and you want to get a few bonus goodies and maybe you got a bunch of money for Christmas and you don't know what to do with it and you're like, I want to support <laughs> local business, my local podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash caffeinatedcrimes. Completely forgot the web address <laughs> in the middle of that sentence. Um, <laughs> it but, happens. Um, you can get a bunch of perks at every single level with that. Um, so yeah, you can go ahead and head over there and do any of those. And it is 2022 and we are still running this damn contest. So maybe by 2023, we will not be running this contest anymore. But for 2022, that the dream? we are. <laughs> that is the dream. So if you have an iPhone, if you know someone who has an iPhone, if you see a stranger on the street with an iPhone, just get it. Go to that purple little icon that says Apple Podcasts. Leave us a lovely five-star review. Put some comments in there. Doesn't have to be detailed. Just cool, great, thumbs up emoji, whatever. Screenshot Mm -hmm. us. Let us know that that was you. We will put you into a drawing. Once we reach 50 of you at some point this decade, we will draw someone to win a stint. A (laughs) stint. This is not the first time I've done that. 
<laughs> a pin, a sticker, and a $10 gift card to the coffee shop of your choice where you can enjoy a nice January latte or tea or whatever um, beverage you would like to enjoy at a coffee shop. Um, that is the end of my sentence. I don't know why I acted like it was going to keep going on. It's very late at night for me, so. But in the meantime, go have a cup of coffee. And don't commit a crime. <laughs>